Here in the power of Christ we stand. Beautiful hymn, beautiful truth. And he giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. We're continuing in our study of um, Matthew 6. So let's turn there, please. We're midway through the Sermon on the Mount. By way of review, in the past weeks, Jesus warned against seeking the praise of men. He warned against trying to appear more spiritual than we are. He called it hypocrisy, and he strictly warned, take heed that you do not do these things to receive glory from men. In our charitable giving and prayer and fasting, we should seek instead the approval of God the Father. This week and next, we're going to look at what or who a person gets his security from for our years on earth. This week, we could ask the question, what bank has my money? Next week, why do we worry about the future? So these are, um, these are lessons on security in life. Jesus' teaching is revolutionary. We admitted that from the start of uh, our study in um, the Sermon on the Mount. We respond to the Lord's teaching with astonishment, like the uh, disciples did when he spoke these words on the mountain. Matthew 7, 28 and 29 reads, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished in his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. We are not listening close enough if we're not challenged, if we're not unsettled by the words of Jesus that he is teaching. His sayings are revolutionary because he is revolutionary. Jesus' teaching is otherworldly because Jesus is otherworldly. We should expect no less from one sent from heaven. There is a danger, however, in thinking that Jesus' demands are too high for us. We're prone to think that the Lord was um, ministering to uh, only his close inner circle, only to a spiritual, a spiritual elite, only to um, uh, apostles. But um, he is speaking to us as common people. The Lord's commands are not burdensome. They're not unreasonable. They're not out of reach or unrealistic. So as, um, as we hear the truth that Jesus proclaims, we need to remind ourselves of his sincerity and his earnest desire that we follow, that we follow his teaching. We do what he says. Okay, Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, 
your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot love, you cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Lord, we've looked to you this morning for your grace. We've acknowledged your, uh, your sovereignty, your sacrifice, and um, we just want one more time to commit this time to you, these truths, and uh, press them on our hearts. We want, to, uh, we want to obey, we want to delight you, and um, so give us understanding, give us application. Lord Jesus, amen. You're in for a bargain today if you came expecting only one message, because it appears that we have three sermons in, this, in these verses. Each could be represented by a question. Uh, first, verses 19 through 21, where is your treasure? Verses 22 and 23, how healthy is your eye? And verse 24, do you serve God alone? As we look closer at these verses, we'll find that there is a single message with three parts, represented by a single question. That question is, where do you seek financial security or guaranteed provision of your lifetime needs? Jesus' plain command in verse Verses 19 and 20 was, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Lay up, lay up treasures. What does that mean? Well, uh, lay up means to store up. It means to accumulate. It means to build up. Treasure, the, um, the old dictionary defines as wealth accumulated, particularly a store of money in reserve. Lay up for yourselves treasure. Well, honestly, Jesus' instruction flies in the face of the advice of the world's most respected businessmen and financial institutions. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the Lord gives reasons why we should not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. He, um, he um, there is the nature of earthly riches is the reason why we should not lay them up for ourselves. Corrosion and decay are the rule for earth and its riches. Years ago, a coworker, uh, coworker's dad passed away out in the Midwest and he went out to uh, settle the estate and found in his dad's possessions a large collection of U.S. postage stamps, sheets, stacks of sheets of postage stamps 
Well, this was his dad's way of investing. He saw value in the stamps, he was going to buy them up, and then whether he would use them at some future date, he had this vast fortune in, uh, in US stamps. But through the years, it just settled into one huge mass, one big stuck together mass of postage stamps. And so my coworker tried to uh, separate the sheets, that didn't work, he tried to separate the uh, the stacks, and uh, he was able to get some stamps free, and he was asking if we'd like some of those, if we'd want to buy some stamps, uh, old stamps to use. It was trash. It was just, uh, it was gone. And so uh, it was, um, it was a, a investment in, in uh, material things that, um, that corroded and decayed. Someone, maybe one of you, <clears throat> years ago, gave me a cashmere scarf. Very nice, very comfortable. I set it in, um, on the shelf <clears throat> for a cold day. Cold day didn't come for a long time, but it came. <clears throat> Reached back in the shelf for my cashmere scarf. What's this dust? I, I cleared the way and it was, there was a pile of dust the same color as my scarf. And I thought, what in the world? I don't know what happened to my scarf. Whether the moths got to it or it just de deteriorated or what. But it was gone. An illustration of how uh, material things deteriorate. They corrode. They, they just plain disappear. So... Um, Corrosion and decay is one of the characteristics of earthly wealth. Another characteristic is their unreliability. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Uncertain. Uh, W.E. Vine defines as um, unreliable, untrustworthy. He calls it a special characteristic of material wealth, okay? Unreliability. Why then do we invest in material riches that we know are going to corrode and decay? We, by nature, are creatures of sight and touch. Only by our new nature do we exercise faith in what we cannot touch or fit in a storage shed. Again, years ago, returning to San Diego after months on board a ship, I joyfully opened the door of my storage shed to be greeted by Hundred, the sound of hundreds of little feet scurrying across cardboard boxes. And uh, I thought, um, well, that's strange. I didn't have any animals in my stuff when I left. And as I picked through my boxes, uh, food had been eaten, papers had been shredded, nests had been built, um, furniture had been destroyed, and a lot of what I'd come home to ended up in the dumpster. It was, uh, it was trash. 
By nature, we yearn for independence generally and financial independence particularly. We want freedom from economic crises and from burdening our loved ones with our financial burden, our financial needs. We do whatever we must to shield our loved ones from financial strain. Sadly, we turn to unreliable material wealth to do this. And so our material riches are uh, not just subject to corrosion, to decay, but they're unreliable. Third characteristic is their portability. Finally, we find something that doesn't decay. Diamonds. Diamonds are forever, right? That's what the song says. Well, the thieves caught onto that as well. And so they make jewelry their target for uh, what they steal from homes. Easy to transport, easy to convert into cash. So a third uh, characteristic of material wealth is their portability. Fourth, their disloyalty. Material wealth is disloyal. Psalm 39 reads, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. Ecclesiastes 2, Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. We relinquish control of our worldly treasure when we are mentally incapacitated or when the Lord calls us home. Our heirs have different convictions than we about um, how to use the riches we leave behind. Who knows how the wealth will be used when I'm gone? I'd rather be given while I'm living so I'm knowing where it's going. Okay, so uh, riches are disloyal. They are volatile. By that we mean they're, uh, they vaporize easily. Proverbs 27, 24 reads, riches are not forever. Proverbs 23, 5, will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. So what's, uh, what's here tomorrow is, is gone through uh, earthquake, um, fire, um, if you're in the Philippines, volcanoes. The, another characteristic is the deceitfulness of riches. In his parable of the four types of soil, Jesus addressed the deceitfulness of riches. Riches promise so much and they deliver so little. What are some of the promises that riches make? I, I looked online and I, I looked at um, some of the taglines or some of the mottos of the banks in the, in the US. 
And these are some of the taglines. Uh, First Bank, their motto is stability, strength, and safety. And they're talking about money. They're talking about their institution. Paul said, as we've already read, um, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain, unreliable, untrustworthy riches, but in the living God. This is what, this is the performance of riches is, they are unreliable. Instead, look at the promise of the Lord, like to Abraham. He said, after these things, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Abraham had um, rejected the offer of the king of Sodom for, uh, for the riches that he had uh, retrieved in battle. And um, uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't take a thing from the king of Sodom. He'd, uh, he just said, no, all that material stuff is, I don't want. And so was he left poor? He, did he lose as a result? God said, Abraham, I'm your exceeding great reward. You got far richer treasure than the king of Sodom got. Get this, the boomerang credit union, where your money comes back to you. That's for real. Uh, again, the, the verse that we quoted from Proverbs 23, this is the uh, performance of riches. They certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle to heaven. Uh, we see that in the housing market crash of 2008. Uh, allegedly, the major financial markets lost more than 30% of their value in a matter of months. And so instead of um, believing the promise of riches where your money comes back to you, believe in the Lord. He said, I will never forsake, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. One more promise, Alpine Bank, making your dreams come true. The performance, that's the promise. The performance of that is, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. John D. Rockefeller was an amazing man in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. He amassed a wealth that was 1% of the total wealth of the United States. 1% doesn't sound like a whole lot, but that would have made um, uh, Bill Gates look like a pauper. He was that rich. Standard Oil, he, he, uh, he founded Standard Oil and uh, the, um, the antitrust, uh, branch of the government split it into four. Um, but um, how much money is enough? They asked John D. Rockefeller. Do you remember what he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. 
God said, the portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. God is our portion. God is the portion of the believer. That's what he wants. He wants you to, to trust in him for your financial security. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So we see that riches promise so much and they deliver so little. Mercifully, the Lord Jesus doesn't require us to lay up what we don't have. Some of us um, are struggling with mortgage payments, house payments. We have nothing to, uh, to lay up. Uh, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what, one, what he does not have. The Lord is sympathetic. The Lord realizes your, your state, your financial state. The Lord doesn't prohibit the accumulation of wealth, just the amassing of material wealth, just uh, hoarding, um, hoarding dollars, treasures on earth. We saw the nature of earthly riches. What are some of the, what are some of the characteristics of heavenly riches? Well, Jesus said in Luke, Luke 16, 9, he said, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you, when you fail or when you die, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Bill McDonald quotes A.T. Pearson by saying, money can be used to buy Bibles, books, tracts, and thus indirectly the souls of men. Thus what was material and temporal becomes immortal, becomes non-material, spiritual and eternal. Pearson lived 100 years ago, so uh, bear that in mind here. Here's a man who has $100. He may spend it all on a banquet or an evening party, in which case the next day there's nothing to show for it. On the other hand, he invests in Bibles for a dollar each. It buys 100 copies of God's word. These he judiciously sows as seed of the kingdom, and that seed springs up into a harvest, not of Bibles, but of souls. Out of the unrighteous, he has made immortal friends who, when he fails, receive him into everlasting habitations. So we can turn what is uh, unrighteous, um, what is deceitful, we can turn that into something usable, something that the Lord will, uh, will use for his glory, for his kingdom. And a second characteristic of um, heavenly riches is that they are guaranteed by the FDIC, the Father's Deposit Insurance Corporation. No moth nor rust destroys, thieves do not break in and steal. You invest $100, your $100 goes to work and uh, with interest. Two friends were at the bank in line to make deposits. The first, an unbeliever, 
says, here it is. I'm making my contribution. I'm putting away savings for retirement, for the kids' college tuition, for medical bills, though my wife and I are perfectly healthy, home repairs, a new car, and just a general fund for those unforeseen uh, conditions, those um, contingencies. I have to, because if I don't make provision for the future, who will? The, his friend, a believer, says, well, I do the same. He says, um, I'm here in line to put away for my retirement and for the kids' college education and for those unforeseen um, uh, contingencies, those events that I can't see. I, I trust the bank that they're going to keep my treasure safe and ready to use for all my needs. But what bothers me is your statement about if I don't make provision, who will? You see, I have a heavenly father who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not fr freely give us, give me, a believer, all things? I have his promise. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you. I see the inconsistency of my faith. I have been deceived by these material riches. The believer leaves. He's, he's headed for the door, and the, his unbelieving friend says, hey, where are you going? What about your retirement? And the believer turns and he says, I'm assured of my retirement income. My heavenly father's promised that, and I'm going to bank from now on on his promise instead of my material riches. In verse 21, Jesus makes the startling claim that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Maybe not so startling. If I invest in Coca-Cola stocks, I mean heavily, where's my heart? My heart is then at corporate headquarters 2,500 miles away, and uh, I'm checking the, uh, checking the Dow Jones averages uh, hourly to see how my, how my stocks are, are going. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If my treasure's in heaven, my heart's in heaven. I'm thinking about eternity and what, uh, what the Lord is doing. A person's checkbook is a wonderful diagnostic of his heart condition. God isn't after your money. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. What did Jesus mean when he said these verses? I'm borrowing heavily this morning from Bill McDonald's commentary. I recommend it to you if you, if you read through his, uh, his notes on this passage, um, you'll, be, you'll be edified. What did Jesus mean when he said in these verses? 
If he meant what he said, I'm faced with a question, what will I do with my earthly riches? If he didn't mean what he said in these verses, what will I do with my Bible? This is more of Jesus' radical teaching. He challenges my affections by touching my wallet, my checkbook, my savings account, my stock portfolio, my 401k. Almost 20 years ago, I got a letter in the mail from the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service. It was in August. I paid my taxes in May, or uh, March. What's up? Open the letter. Ah, it's, um, your federal income tax has been selected for examination. Please call to schedule an appointment. Attached to this letter is a list of items on your return which will be examined. And among those items was uh, canceled checks and receipts for contributions to churches and other organizations. Okay. I made my appointment. I went down to, um, to the federal building in Oakland, upstairs. Um, I was greeted in the lobby by a, a young, um, efficient, serious-looking worker. She ushered me to her desk, and with an extremely short explanation, she asked for the canceled checks. Give me, um, give me your, uh, the checks that you brought. And so uh, she and I sat there, and she started in January and just went through each check and um, entered the total in her, uh, her calculator. And there were 50-some checks because I was giving to Calvary Bible Chapel. So I, I told her, I said, um, You've seen a part of my life that very few people have ever seen. And she gave me kind of a blank look. I said, my checkbook, my, my spending record. Keeps, uh, keeps flipping and adding and flipping and adding. I said, you know where my heart is. Another blank look. And I told her, I said, um, Jesus said that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you're, what you're looking at, these, these charitable contributions, are my treasure. You, you see my treasure, you know where my heart is. <sighs> Nothing seemed to come from that brief witness. She didn't let on if she understood. But the meeting underscored the truth that my heart was where those checks had gone to Calvary Bible Chapel, to various missionaries around the world. 
And so where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Jesus goes on in verse 22, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Through the eye, the body receives illumination. We, can see, uh, we, we um, perceive light, we get light through the eye. If the eye is good, if it's healthy, the King James, I believe, says single, the body will be flooded with light. If the eye is bad, malignant, evil, the body will be full of darkness. The application is this. The good eye belongs to a person with a single desire for God's interests. He is willing to accept Jesus' teachings literally. He forsakes earthly riches, lays up treasure in heaven, knowing that this is the only true security. The bad eye belongs to a person who doesn't want to let go of earthly treasures, yet he wants heavenly treasures. Jesus' teachings seem extreme and unreasonable. The person doesn't understand Jesus' teaching. So the Lord said, if that light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If Jesus forbids me to accumulate earthly wealth for security, and I do it anyway, then that teaching becomes darkness. And Jesus says, how full, how great is that darkness? It's, uh, he calls it a bad eye. He says it's a, a malignant eye because it does me harm. And then in verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. One of these masters is going to take priority, is going to take precedence in the, ma in the servant's heart and affections. Jesus uses the truth to illustrate that a person cannot live for both God and gold. They make conflicting claims, and we must choose to put God first and reject the attraction of material wealth, or live for temporal things and refuse God's claim on our lives. I can't stand with one foot in a canoe and one foot on the dock. That doesn't work. Listen to Job's words. If I have made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, if I have observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in brightness so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would have been an iniquity deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. Job, the richest man, richest man of his time, recognized the competition between God and gold. He realized that he could not serve two masters. What qualifies the Lord Jesus to make these strong statements, these startling, bold 
statements with such authority. Listen again to them. I'll pick out the, the ones that startle me most. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Bold words. You cannot serve God and mammon. What qualified Jesus to say that? Well, he is God. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is sent from heaven. He revealed to us that there is heaven. How would we know about uh, spiritual truths if he had not said? Infinitely far beyond just revealing heaven to us, he made a way through faith by his sacrifice at Calvary that we might enjoy heaven with him. Somehow, by his marvelous grace, Jesus offers a way that we can invest in heaven. We can lay up treasures there. So don't squander your opportunity to lay up treasures in heaven. Secondly, Jesus is the light of men. He is the true light. He is the great light among us as we sat in darkness in the region and the shadow of death. He is the light of life. Jesus is the illuminator of men, continually pointing men and women to heaven, men and women so dull and unsighted and in need of enlightenment. He tells us how our eye affects our body and how he desires us to invest properly in the wealth he has entrusted to our stewardship. The lamp of the body is the eye. You were, once darkness, you were once darkness, Paul wrote the Ephesians, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How, how is Jesus qualified? Well, as God, he is sovereign, omnipotent, incontestable ruler of all. And yet he permits his subjects to serve other masters for a short time. Graciously, he accepts the service of those who choose to live under his rule. God alone is worthy of our trust. God alone loves us completely without favoritism and bias. God alone is infinitely strong and wise to keep that which we've committed to his care. If I have committed my soul to his capable care for time and eternity, what, it's not a great thing for me to commit my earthly riches to him as well. God alone is able to guide us through life's complexities and unknowns and to provide for our needs. Therefore, serve God, not mammon. In conclusion this morning, the world views Jesus' followers as eccentric and strange, half-baked and foolish. They see Jesus as impractical and out of touch with the demands of modern society, with technology and finance. 
Our mission as believers is not to change the world's opinion. Our mission is to obey the Lord, to glorify Him, to show Him to be right and true by our actions. Let's pray. Light of men, thank you for uh, your illumination. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its power, for uh, your claims in our life. We uh, thank you that you are sovereign, that you are gracious, you're kind and loving, and have our best interests at your, uh, in your heart. Um, give us opportunities, Lord, to, to see where you want us to move, what you want us to do, and um, we're, we're grateful for it. Lord Jesus, amen. <laughs>